Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam. We've got the old crew back together after a little change up uh, last couple of weeks. So uh, we have Don there. Don, how you doing? I am doing great. Pumped up about today's episode. Uh, Justin, be to this side of me. Justin, how's it going over there? It's not nearly as hot in this room anymore, so I'm doing pretty good. Even with all that hair? Yeah. Yeah, and that's because <laughs> I got the fan cranked up, turned the lights down. I heard yeah. barbershops have reopened, so... Uh, it, it's, it's iffy, but how else am I supposed to look like a game show host? That's true. All right. And we've also got Daniel Lowry up there who, uh, is still managing to get haircuts clearly. How you doing? Why are you asking so many questions I'm all sorry. the time? Uh, you'd think I'm trying to social engineer you with, with questions like that? <laughs> I used to be paranoid. That's, that's one of my top security questions. When was your last haircut? Yeah. Yes. Got you now, Daniel. <laughs> oh man. That would be horrible because I'd be like, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, tomorrow. Yesterday? And it's like, no, you're locked out of your account. <laughs> you hairy beast. All right. Uh, we also uh, have a guest joining us remotely. Uh, we have Dennis Hunter with us today who is not in San Francisco, despite what that Zoom background would tell you. Dennis, how you doing? I am quite well. And yourself? I'm pretty good. You're actually, where, North Carolina, was it? We are in the great state of North Carolina. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that isn't that a Commonwealth? No, that's Virginia. No, no, that that's Virginia. That's that's those Yankees, the guys north of us. What are you talking about? Most of that state is a bunch of Southerners. <laughs> Yankees relative, Justin. No, no, no. Once you hit Manassas, all right, I'll give you that. That's Southern Maryland. There you go. But there you go. But the southern part of Virginia, it's, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Justin grew up in a cave in uh, Western Virginia there. I like so how his accent got super thick, thing. like, don't you hit my ass? Hold it. I do declare. I can't help it. I can't help it. I mean, you're like Virginia, and I'm like, oh, I'm like the Manchurian candidate, except yeah. when you say Virginia, <laughs> I turn full like Pavlovian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Manchurian redneck. <laughs> so, Dennis, I don't know how to introduce you because, uh, You've got a lot of careers and a lot of things going on. So, uh, yes, how do I how do I address you, sir? Well, I um I like to think of myself as ex Navy, that has made a career in the IT field that now uh, works at the um, orders of my Cisco people. Makes sense. All right, that's a that's a mouthful. So, I'll just say Dennis. <laughs> but let's uh let's go ahead and get to know dennis a little bit more in his background here in our first segment rapid fire questions who do you work for what's new who are you what's happening what's wrong with you all right dennis so you're going to have a 45 seconds to a minute to answer a question we're going to have five if you go over time peter's going to buzz you and we're going to move on regardless of whether you're finished or not are you ready i'm ready all right peter take it away all right, so Dennis, you mentioned uh, the Navy background, and uh, you know I know that you do some instructing now as well. So I'd like to know a little bit more about, you know, did did you uh, did you get started in IT in the Navy, or was that something after the Navy that you went into? How how did you uh, start on your journey there? Well, many years ago in the seventies, I joined the U.S. Navy, and the Navy was kind enough to put me into advanced electronics. And the first computer that I worked on was 22 feet long and seven feet tall. Um, and of course, you know, computer electronics was relatively new then and exciting. 
And uh, much more than the electronic side, I got into the computer side. So uh, that started me off. And thank you know, back then when I went to Navy, they gave me two years worth of nothing but training. And after two years, I did four years in the fleet. I then turned around and went to work for the company that sells the F-14s to the Navy. And they gave me more training. That was Grumman Aerospace. And I you know, got to travel around the world with the Navy, got to travel around the world with Grumman Aerospace. Then worked, went to work for IBM, got to travel around the world with IBM, wrote a book on clusters with IBM, uh, moved on to um, working with uh, Red Hat. I was a product manager for a few years, then was a product manager over at Cisco, came back to Cisco, and I do uh, cybersecurity with them now with uh, Stepwatch. I tell you what, Dennis, that's a lot going on there. I heard uh, clusters, IBM, I hear you do some security, AWS, but you know, I have a similar thing where I'm all over the place, but I always have that core couple of things that I'm interested in. So what are you most passionate about in uh, IT? Eating. Love it. <laughs> so, I, I say eating in that um, I love to learn. I, I, I like to find out you know, what it is I don't know. Well, what it is I'm short in? What, what is there possible that I could get blindsided by? So in doing that, like how most people listen to music, I actually listen to um, books in my car. I'm usually listening to some kind of technical show or some podcast, some information. I take that time while I'm commuting to learn because I figured that I'll worry about Beyonce when Beyonce sends me a check. Until then... I'm learning. That would be an interesting career right there when Beyonce yeah. is sending a check. Uh, so I know uh, you mentioned that you work for Cisco, but I also know that you're involved with the Cyber Synergy Consulting Groups. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, well, Cyber Synergy Consulting, you catch them on cybersynergy.net, I believe. But they're a uh, small um, minority-owned company. And uh, via them and via their efforts, we got inv invited to the White House earlier this year we went up there, uh, we sat down with Secretary Mnuchin. It was a great thing. Uh, and what they do is they teach they teach uh, the military and other organizations. They do cybersecurity. We do cybersecurity support. We do training. I was with the training part. And in the training part, we uh, get rented out to different schools and we go and train cybersecurity. Or we'll go on site. Someone's company might want their people trained in cybersecurity. We'll go train them. Or we'll train them in networking. Whatever thing comes up, we'll, we'll teach you. Have brain, we'll travel. <laughs> now, Dennis, uh, I've got a little birdie told me that you're involved with the Cisco Stealth Watch. Uh, product. Very cool yes. thing. Uh, there's a lot of network uh, detection and response tools out there. What separates StealthWatch from the others in the pack? Very simple. The Cisco uh, security portfolio. The Cisco has a very large portfolio of security products. And StealthWatch works inside of their existing portfolio. So what you, where you have a lot of other standalone, nice to have um, um, uh, services with StealthWatch, you have something that works inside of and designed to work with many other products. Because most people in a SOC, they're not working on one thing. They don't have one problem to solve. So this is, this is something that's inside of a family of other products that help you solve your overall security challenges. 
All right, so last question. Uh, we've got five seconds left, but we'll go with it. Um, I know you, you mentioned you worked with the F4, uh, F-14, so how excited are you for the new Top Gun movie that well, I hope still comes out this year? I hope they don't delay that. Well, very excited. I actually worked with the squadron that flew against Top Gun. We were the professional adversaries for the West Coast. So I'm ex- we were in the squadron. We were in the hangar right next door to Top Gun. Was it all fake? Is it all fake, or was it? Uh, no, no. Those guys, those guys are serious. Those guys, they, they, they. Pilots talk with their hands, and they're very serious. <laughs> all right, I'm excited to know what that means. But uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see that movie. That's was was that the computer you worked on, the F-14? How long did you say the computer? Right, so, right. <laughs> Vast was a system that troubleshot the electronics inside of the F-14. That so we we lived on the aircraft carrier and we lived in uh, AIMD, which troubleshoots the electronics that you remove out of the F-14. And my brother worked on the flight deck with the F-14. So there were three brothers. We were all in the Navy together and we sailed on the ship together. It was really neat. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's use your security background and find out uh, a little bit of insight on uh, something that happened uh, overseas in our next segment, Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. All right, so we have this article from Slashdot.com. Supercomputers breached across Europe to mine cryptocurrency. And I could read this entire article, Don, in about uh, two seconds because it's like two lines Slashdot (laughs) likes to do. But um, that sounds like they should have had some better security in place for supercomputers. So it's really interesting what happened here, right, Uh, is that you've got supercomputers, and we're talking about big ones, ones that are designed to do teraflops per second of calculations and so on. They're used to to perform, uh, well, a lot of them are being used to study COVID-19 right now because that's where a lot of our CPU resources need to be dedicated. And what happened was at various points over the last week, they detected where uh, CPU utilization was way higher than it was supposed to be on these machines, which I thought was kind of funny because I just figured they ran at 100% all the time, uh, but that someone was Bitcoin mining on the supercomputers. And that's plural, not just one, multiple supercomputers across Europe were compromised all in the same week. And uh, there's a group, Cato uh, Security, that did a full write-up on this, on exactly what happened. It's really interesting, is that attackers somehow managed to get a student's credentials to get into one of these supercomputers. And from there, that student had SSH uh, certificates that allowed them to log into other supercomputers. Apparently, it's, it's pretty common that they share engineers between the different projects. And at that point, the attackers were able to leapfrog from one computer to the next. And once they were in... They pulled off various privilege escalations to be able to take control of it. And one of the bigger ones, the Archer uh, supercomputer, they actually got root-level access to it. And so that computer is having to be completely uh, wiped. But they had a pretty sophisticated attack that would erase the logs, would hide their tracks, and would Bitcoin mine. Uh, Apparently that was their primary goal. I'm not surprised when you say sophisticated. I was looking up the CVE that they took advantage of to do privilege escalation. There's no, like, even POC out there that I could find. I was on exploit DV, uh, you name it. I, I couldn't find anything that just that there is a, um, an, uh, a weakness. I think it was CVE 2020 or something like that. Couldn't find a single. So they, that means they're writing their own exploit code, their own shell code. And they were, they're smart. Oh, so this isn't something that, that they could have patched for necessarily. 
I don't know. I don't. I didn't check to see if there was a patch for that CVE specifically or not. But it just it most likely just takes advantage of something, some bug in the the kernel or uh, one of the pieces of software on there. Well, it makes you wonder how long something like this went on before they noticed that that rise, or you know, did did they let that go for a little bit before? Um, you know, have, have they been, has this been going on for months or days or hours? So I wonder if these computers were, you know, along that same line, if they haven't been used as often due to current times. Because I know in grad school, the supercomputers, like you scheduled time and those things were churning 24 uh, seven. So I don't know if, you know, I wonder if it was because like people's jobs were getting kicked out of queue or something because there were no resources available. That's what like made them raise the red flag. Yeah, in the case of the Archer supercomputer, it was being used to calculate out uh, COVID-19 data. And so it, it was actively being used. And you're probably right. You know, if they see the queues backing up, that means something else is taking priority. And e even if they didn't have an exploit, the attackers had valid accounts to be able to log into these machines. And those accounts were able to launch jobs. So they would have been able to Bitcoin mine. They just wouldn't have been able to hide their tracks or establish persistence. But they were able to take advantage of other things. And so some of the supercomputers were hacked worse than others. But it just shows like these are multi-million, sometimes billion-dollar machines that get compromised just like your grandmother's home computer. I mean, Dennis, were you ever involved in kind of the, the security side of, of some of these things with uh, the devices that, that you worked on with, uh, with the Navy or, or after the fact? Well, it's so funny because when you said supercomputers, as you already know, I wrote a book on Linux clusters, and uh, we had 1,000-node computer clusters. So one of the things I found is when they use the term supercomputer, were they talking about a cluster of Intel-based computers or were they talking about IBM mainframes? Because if you notice, you very rarely hear of a mainframe getting hacked into. Whereas the supercomputers, I can see them running a Linux kernel and therefore because they're running Linux, you know, they, have, they might have well-known exploits. Yeah, I want to say that one of them was running HPUX. I don't know what the others were running. I'll have to look that up. I'm curious now. And they were Intel platforms, probably. But do we know as that they weren't? To, as Go opposed ahead. to IBM. As well, that's why I was differentiating between the, the clusters, which are Intel platform machines, and mainframes, which is a different architecture altogether. Mm -hmm. I see and so I can see them getting this. into the... Yeah, I can see them getting into the Intel machines, but it would be a little bit more difficult to get into the mainframes. Yeah, that, that makes you think inside job or something if you're hearing about that. But I was going to say, I think they're probably just uh, mining the, bit, uh, the Bitcoin themselves yeah. to pay for their electric bill to run these supercomputers. Because uh, that, that cannot be cheap. <laughs> well, you know, we just had halving day, so now it's twice as hard to mine Bitcoin. So I think they were just computer. upgrading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I can't do this from home anymore. I've, I've got to go ahead and and uh, bump the COVID-19 research so I can I can get this thing going. And I'm, I'm Googling feverishly here trying to find out what, at least the Archer, you know, what it had. Apparently it's based on a Cray XC30, but that doesn't necessarily tell me what the, uh, the architecture is. Hmm. Well, uh, let's shift gears here. And, and Dennis, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned, I think, uh, what was it, cybersynergy.net is where we can reach the Cybersynergy Consulting Group. But uh, if people want to reach out to you, and because uh, I, like, I, like I said, I know you do some, uh, some training and that kind of thing, what's the, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Um, actually, and I do this with all of my students, I challenge them 
to go to LinkedIn and do a search for Dennis Rucker Hunter. And uh, if you do that and you go to LinkedIn, you do a search for Dennis Rucker Hunter, uh, I'll probably come up as the first person that you see. Um, I'm, I'm almost semi-famous. I've got well over uh, 10, 15,000 followers on LinkedIn. So I'm extremely easy to see. And I, I'm usually very responsive on LinkedIn. The Rucker part, by the way, for anyone that knows anything about basketball, is I'm related to the famous Halcom Rucker, who has Rucker Park in, in New York. Everyone that knows about basketball knows about Rucker. Yeah, that's like the blacktop courts up there, right? Yes, that's my uncle. That's my mother's brother. Oh, that's fantastic. Very cool. Yeah, I watched... I th- there's a documentary or something that I saw about those courts, so that that's that's pretty cool. And just for the record, uh, Dennis was absolutely right. Uh, they're Intel Xeon processors, and it is running uh, the Cray Linux environment, which is based on SUSE Linux. So, All of them across the board, or uh, no? Just the Archer this was the, the Archer one that I pulled one. Okay. here. Yep. Gotcha. Well. That explains it. All right. Well, uh, Dennis, thank you so much for taking the time with us today, and. Uh, um, you know, taking the time out of your schedule. I know things are a little crazy right now with everything going on. So appreciate you jumping on with us. Well, thank you guys for having me. And I want to say before I go, you guys are awesome. I got to where I am by taking training with you. You are some of the best training I've come across. And being someone that's in the business, I would advise everyone, it's worth the subscription. Believe me. <laughs> we take that sound bite out and turn that into a commercial there. <laughs> <laughs> I assume he was talking to you guys, the, the actual trainers. But. <laughs> I love these guys. Uh, hey, Dennis, thank Send you so shirt. much. Send shirts. Send shirts. Send shirts. <laughs> All right. Yeah, if you can bring them to the White House next, or wear it to the White House next time. I want to see you saying hey, up good there. idea. Yeah. <laughs> we can help each other. Bye-bye. Yeah. You have a blessed day. All right, we'll talk to you later, and uh, stay tuned, everybody. We've got more Tegnado coming up right after this. Do you know what's better than being an IT Pro TV member? Being a member for free. Hi, I'm Dom Pazet, co-founder and edutainer here at IT Pro TV. Once you sign up for an IT Pro TV personal membership subscription, you'll automatically be part of our referral program. Then all you have to do is share your personal referral link and code with your friends and colleagues. Every time one signs up, you get money off your subscription. Sign up enough and your membership is free. That's right, access to all your favorite IT training totally free. Kind of feels like stealing, doesn't it? Check out the link below to learn how to get your code and start sharing today. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette. Thank you to Dennis for joining us. Uh, We've got a lot of news to get to, so let's go ahead and uh, jump right in. Our first article is from worldcommunitygrid.org, which I don't know if that's our, our normal sites, but actually, is this part of IBM? Looks like it might be, but anyway. Yeah, uh, I wonder if that's in the headline. I like how you're trying to figure it out, like, <laughs> in the middle of the pod. Hey, what is this? Yeah, like, well, it's never, an article. <laughs> I've never heard of this site. Interesting. Reading stupid. News. Reading stupid. Man, learn something new every day. It's almost like you didn't read the rundown before the podcast. No, I'm saying, is is this, this site is actually, okay, yeah. So the headline is, IBM-sponsored World Community Grid. <laughs> well, I was looking at the actual article, and on the article, there's no there's no headline anymore. So you're right. i got to go back to the, to the sheet here. IBM-sponsored <laughs> World Community Grid leverages distributed computing to fight COVID-19. So are they referring to the actual computers that were uh, taken down to mine Bitcoin? No, actually, they aren't, but it is the same idea. So, uh, you know, those supercomputers cost tons and tons of money and there's only so many of them on the planet and they're certainly out of the reach of the average human being but many of us most of us in fact practically well pretty much everybody listening right now likely has a computer at home a computer at work 
devices that are laying around that aren't actually using their entire CPU most of the time. And so what these guys are doing is they're leveraging the folding at home project, uh, which was used in SETI at home and a few other different things. And basically what you can do is donate CPU time on your own machine to go to COVID-19 calculating. And what they're doing is they're studying how various proteins react with the uh, with the COVID-19 virus, uh, which is actually the SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so they, they're testing that and they're modeling it. Well, there are billions and billions of iterations of this model. And so by distributing that out over regular consumer PCs around the globe, they are able to achieve numbers that rival, if not beat, many of the supercomputers that are out there. So it's a way that people can kind of volunteer their hardware that's sitting there idle, uh, and not not 100% of the time. You can still use your computer and stuff, but then when your computer is idle, it'll sit there and process some of these models out for them. Remember that those old, uh, there, was, there was some thing that would pay you to to surf the web, but it was like net zero or something, and you, uh, a friend of mine wrote one of those scripts that just made your mouse move. So I could do this and basically probably make some money, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you I, don't, I, I don't think act- the idea is that the computer's not doing anything, and then it uses your CPU cycle. Oh, right? it's not going to make my mouse move, too? Right. No. I mean, it might make your mouse move. Didn't they shut down SETI at home? Yeah, they just wrapped that one up. They said they had collected more data than they could possibly analyze, uh, which made me wonder why they didn't just go ahead and do another folding project to analyze, analyze the data. data. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, the, didn't the United States Air Force just confirm the identity, or at least that they have seen uh, what they what do they call uh, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon? And they did. They're, I think they're they're hiding that kind of stuff during during this pandemic. Like, like it came out like last that. week. Yeah. They showed it. No well, one's going to talk about it. It's not going to dominate the news. Just we all know now. that UFOs are five G tower calls. That's right. <laughs> Burn them. Someone gets you down. And Wi Fi. What was Wi Fi six? Yeah. Well, Low this project. Satellites. This project has only been running for um, I guess about two weeks. And it's already generated over 1,025 years worth of CPU time. Uh, so, you know, had they had a single computer running these calculations, it would have taken over 1,000 years to get to the point that it's in today. And in fact, just yesterday, it did 297 years worth of calculations all inside of one day. So it's just a way that people can, can contribute and potentially lead to finding a way to combat the coronavirus. Sounds like a good way to get that Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because I'm like, well, could we write browser extensions that that's how you, like, hmm. like when you visit a, a research um, facility's website, it just starts churning? You, like those crypto miners? So you can, and hold that thought, because we got an article that talks about that <laughs> in just a few minutes. <laughs> so uh, big question is, have they, have they figured out coronavirus yet? With all that, it's a virus. They said, and it has like a corona around it. Yeah, (laughs) the the best scientific minds. Yeah, took us a thousand years. They cracked the code. That's bad. We joke, but I think Justin and Daniel really did just sum up what the scientific community has so far. It's about it. It's uh, yes. It it, we've confirmed. Wash your hands. Yes, people are sick. If you get it, you will be sick. Yeah, or not. Maybe die. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Don't lick doorknobs. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't stop think we need eating, a computer to tell us. Stop that. eating off the floor in the bathroom. Yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Even your bathroom. Yeah. Your bathroom is Wait, also are, are they using my webcam, too? Yeah. How, how do they know that? <laughs> it's idle right now. Yeah, i got, I got to make sure I close the webcam before I... 
I turned my computer over to them. Uh, all right, our next article is from ZDNet.com. Microsoft takes a step towards phasing out 32-bit PC support for Windows 10. New Windows 10 PCs, starting with the May 2020 update, uh, 2004, will be able to run 64-bit Windows 10 only. Existing uh, PCs are unaffected. I don't, I don't know, but I feel like we talked about this a while ago. This has already happened. Or is that did they announce that it was coming, and now they're actually pushing this out? So uh, we've actually talked about this twice. So once when Microsoft announced that it was coming, and then uh, we also talked about it with Apple because Apple made the switch to completely eliminating 32-bit. Apple actually went a step further in that they only have a 64-bit OS and they completely eliminated support for 32-bit apps. Microsoft hasn't done that. So Microsoft is keeping a 64-bit OS that is capable of running 32-bit binaries. What they're doing is just saying, hey, if you're Dell, HP, you know, all these, these hardware manufacturers they can now only get 64-bit Windows 10. So any computer purchased after May will be 64-bit and running the 64-bit OS. If you're already running the 32-bit OS, that's fine. But even at 64-bit, you can still run 32-bit applications. It'll be years before Microsoft finally cuts those off, but it will happen eventually and it'll be a big deal. It's been a big deal inside of the Apple world too. A lot of people didn't, didn't realize some of the apps they had that were 32-bit and are now struggling to kind of adapt over. Wasn't there something in, uh, there was some like, Contention in Ubuntu, like the newest release of Ubuntu, because they were trying to get like start phasing out 32-bit. Yep. Everybody was like, "No, we still need those, right?" Yeah, the the big problem there was they were they were trying to actually eliminate the 32-bit libraries, which software like Wine, uh, which allows you to run Windows applications on top of Linux, it depends on those 32-bit libraries. And many of the video games that get ported to Linux would have been broken. Uh, the Valve, the company that makes Steam, they said they were going to switch over to Fedora instead of Ubuntu for their official distro. And so with that, Ubuntu backed off and said, "Okay, I, I guess we can keep the 32-bit libraries." Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so this doesn't have anything to do with Windows 10X or 1010 or whatever the heck we're calling it. No, not yet. Okay. Nope. But uh, but just new PCs that are coming out starting with the May 2020 update. So yeah. now. It will be nice because a lot of times I get tripped up. I'm on a computer and I don't realize it's 32-bit. I just assume it's 64-bit. And so, you know, you get tripped up on it. But after May, anything newer than that will be 64-bit. Yeah, you'll know because it doesn't work. <laughs> I just thought of something. My mind went crazy. Nerd funny. Nerd weird. <laughs> Windows 1010 in binary would still be Windows 10. Right? Yes. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has to be the nerdiest thing yeah. I've ever heard you say. <laughs> like I mean, for, for an IT, Justin's doing some <laughs> He's doing it right now. I can see his brain moving. He's like, yeah, hold on. You got the 8-bit and the 2-bit. You got an 8-bit and a 2-bit. Put that yeah, there's yeah. That Sorry, <laughs> Man, I was adding an extra bit in there. I was like, no, wait, hold on. Someone get Justin a whiteboard. Or <laughs> a piece of scratch paper. <laughs> it's going to look like a montage of a scientific. <laughs> and, and then for a it's moment, a I was like, Daniel, you can't put an X in binary. Yeah. You don't even get an X in hexadecimal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> we've got a gif of, of Justin doing like the Zach Galifianakis math. Thing, oh like, yeah, hangover yeah. where the numbers are flying in front yeah, of him yeah. that were used in a video. So uh, throw that on. That was like watching that happen right there. So thank you for that, Justin. You just You're blew well. his mind. I ain't, I aim to please. Yeah. All right. Our next article is from the great people over at ArsTechnica.com. Chrome will soon block resource draining ads. Here's how to turn it on now. 
Uh, fed up with crypto jacking ads? Google developers have you covered. So is this why Chrome is taking up so much of my computing <laughs> power? It's not them. It's the ad. Well, probably not, but no? okay. <laughs> maybe. So, you know, that idea that Justin had just a few minutes ago, he wasn't the first person to think of it, although he uh, invented it in parallel. So uh, websites and, and nefarious actors have found where they can actually create active advertisements that embed a crypto coin miner. So when you're viewing a website that contains an ad, it can actually be mining cryptocurrency right there in the background. And when you leave the page, it stops. But for a few moments, they they have the uh, ability to leverage your CPU cycles. And what Google found was that these were pretty easy to identify. And there's a really cool chart in the article for any of you guys that check it out online, uh, where they were showing how uh, these ads really only make up 0.3% of the ads that are out there in, in use in the market, but they account for 27% of the network data consumed and 28% of the CPU usage consumed across all advertisements, even the good ones. So it's a you know way big imbalance. And so Google said, well, hey, it's pretty easy to spot that based on the utilization. The, the numbers are, are ridiculous. And so they're rolling out a change in the system where if they see an ad behaving like that, and they set the threshold way low. If I remember it, it's like 0.8% or something, where if an ad breaks that 0.8% barrier, then it will just disable the ad. And you'll see a message instead that says ad removed with a details link you can click on. Uh, so you could actually potentially turn the ad back on if you wanted it, I suppose. Uh, but that way you don't get these crazy CPU intensive things running in the background. And so like Justin's suggestion of, hey, when I go to a science website, it just automatically starts mining, that would fall under this. So I wonder if they're determining that utilization, what the sampling rate is, because if it's 0.8%, but they're sampling, like, is there a way that I could cause peaks and then like back off to still fall under the 0.8%? Yeah, push the, push the curve. Yeah, the, the, it'd be like, oh, a lot, and then nothing. Well, this says over, you know, the, the two seconds, it's still 0.8%. This says ads that use more CPU resources or network data than 99.9% .9 of overall ads will be blocked, which translates to four megabytes of network data or 15 seconds of CPU usage in any 30-second period. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess if you flooded a bunch of bunch of those out there that, that push the curve across, then, you know, you could. Yeah, and with a calculation thing like this, speed is how they benefit, right? So if you slow it down enough, it becomes not really a viable opportunity for them. Uh, so that's basically what Google's trying to do. Uh, Firefox actually rolled out something last year that did the same thing, and so Chrome's just kind of playing catch up on it. Now, when we say Chrome is doing this, is this something that gets built into other Chromium browsers then, or specifically... Uh, just just Google Chrome. So it depends, right? Uh, Google develops it, and they bake it into Chromium, and then all the things that are derived off of Chromium can choose to adopt that, or they can leave it off. But most of them do choose to adopt it. Yeah, this is one of those ones where there's not much reason not to. It's mm -hmm. funny, because when I first read this headline, I thought it meant just uh, resource-draining ads were, you know, big videos playing or things like that. So I was like, oh, great. And, I, and reading the article, I go, oh, I didn't realize they could actually be doing this stuff with uh, with my browser, so... Uh, thank you, Google. And I don't know, Daniel. Have you ever encountered that in the wild? Like, I I haven't actually encountered one, but I read about them all the time. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, which specific? Like, like a, a Bitcoin miner that's embedded in a page. I, I actually have. I used to um, 
uh, peruse a certain sites that would allow you to watch television. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> for research. Yeah, for research purposes. Completely. Asking for a friend. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one day I, I realized that my fans were just cranking on my on my computer. I was like, what is going on? So I pulled up the activity monitor, and sure enough, the browser was just eating CPU. And I was like, what is going on? And I realized there was a banner at the top of the page that said, this is a free service. Um, and to keep it free, we're going to mine some Bitcoin with your... Oh, so they weren't even hiding. They, they straight up came out and said, we're going to do this. And then all um, most of those sites have now gone offline. So that was a while a while ago. So this has been around for a while. Well, at least they were honest about it. And I mean, yeah. effectively, though, you're, you're, you are paying just via your electric bill. Yeah, yeah you're, exactly right. Your data usage and all that. But I was plugged into my neighbor's house. So... <laughs> Big long orange cord running from there outside, and the Wi-Fi too. You're on his his oh, Wi-Fi. Man. Yeah, yeah. When you asked uh, Daniel, are you familiar with this? I I was waiting for Daniel to go. By familiar, you mean have, have I written one of these? <laughs> yeah. Am I doing this uh, now? On got to put those kids through college. Well, Justin's got the beta version, and he's still in testing right now. Yeah. I got a special page you can go to to uh, listen to Technado from. That's there. right. Anytime I hear these, I immediately go. I wonder if I could dive deep and then like try to figure out a way or, like the edge case because again like the sampling rate. They're like, oh yeah, we're just gonna if it's using over 99% of the CPU usage in 15 seconds over a 30 second period. Okay, well, it would be fun to write something that would eat up CPU utilization and see if it would get disabled and then just start like um, like randomly having pauses in there. And say you can not run over 15 seconds, but then that way it doesn't get shut down. I don't know. Yeah, it, it would be tricky. I, I know, like, if it's an application written in C or C, you have a lot of control over the execution of it. But when it's something embedded in a web page, I don't know how much control you have over the hardware you execute on. Yeah, you're better off getting a supercomputer. Definitely. That. I hear they're easy to log into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got these creds off Pastebin. It's amazing. <laughs> All right, our next article is over at TheVerge.com. Edison Mail rolls back update after iOS users reported they could see strangers' email. The company says the issue was caused by a bug, not a security breach. Well, a security breach can be a bug, I guess. One man's sure. junk, One right? of the same. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how long it took people to figure that out, though, when they were just reading email very confused until they realized that it wasn't their email. Cause I, I, I've actually it, had this happen to me before. Really? Not, not with this mail provider, but with Gmail. Uh, years ago, uh, I had a Gmail account, and one day I, I read this email, and I was like, what is this talking about? And it was about a purchase for a Jeep, and it was from the from the Jeep company, or the, the, mm. the, the auto sales. I called them, and I said, I didn't buy any Jeep, what is this? And they said, well, we've got the invoice right here, we sent the email address of, and they gave the email address, and I said, that's not my email address, but I got that email. Weird. And it was another Daniel Lowry, but it was like a weird thing in the way Gmail was interpreting periods in the username area of the yeah. of the email account. It was like so there was another Daniel Lowry, and I had a period in my username, and it just saw us both as the same thing. There have been a few of these instances over the years. Uh, Google had one a while back where there was a problem with their Edge caching servers. So, you know, your mailbox will get cached on, on edge servers all over the globe. And something had happened where once you logged in, occasionally you'd be served cached pages of other people's mailbox. And so you were you were kind of seeing their mailbox, but you weren't actually in it. So it was a, a like a minor leak of data. This one was worse because when you fired up your app, if 
if you had upgraded to the newest version, which you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but like I, I have my phone set to automatically do. So it'll automatically update. Uh, and then it's an email program, so it's always running. And then when you open the mail program, you were just in someone else's mailbox. And that meant you could read email, you could forward emails, you, know, you could you could do whatever you wanted. The, the credentials had effectively been handed off at that point. So this was a pretty bad one. They rolled it back in, uh, they say, about 10 hours. So it was a 10-hour window of time that if you had this application and opened it, you were likely served someone else's mailbox. And they tried to downplay it, saying, well, it's, it's just people who use the app during the 10-hour window. But when you're talking about an email app, people use the email app on their phone, I would say, at least once every 10 hours, unless they're asleep. Well, you especially know? if you have push notifications, isn't it? always using the app i think they're just when you have the app open they were hoping that yeah you'd get the notifications but if you didn't look and then it was rolled back in 10 hours that <laughs> didn't count <laughs> didn't happen well the question is like if if i was seeing don's email does that mean don was seeing my email or is it a rolling thing where every person's seeing the next person's email uh, you could just you know you know, sadly, they haven't down. come out with any cool anecdotes on how it worked. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, they, like uh, love connections that were made. You know, <laughs> love connections, couples that were. I mean, I've done this with physical mail, where you know the mailman puts the wrong thing in your box, and you open it up, go, "Who is this person, and why did they send me a birthday card six months?" You know, with one hundred fifty dollars. Peter, just admit <laughs> the mail the breaking fraud. the law. Yeah. You open the mail when you get the mail. You don't not when your name's not on it. <laughs> you it's in my box. It's mine. Yeah, that's how it works. No, it's not. I can't wait to go put that murder weapon in your mailbox. <laughs> you heard it here on Tech <laughs> Like, it's got Peter's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, he didn't man. even read it. I said, By the way, Peter, don't touch this. Your murder just went to a federal crime now. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, because you used the U.S. So. I mailed it to you, right? Dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they'll get you for, mail yeah. fraud. What's funny is the sheriff will show up and be like, he hasn't touched it. He opens the mailbox. There's the bloody knife or whatever. He hasn't touched it. Sheriff goes, up, well, son, I hate to tell you this, but it's in your mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> All other evidence is thrown out the window. Am I, am I the only person that like checks their mail maybe once every two weeks? Yes. Really? Not not email. I'm talking about actual yeah, we, mail. We understand what you're saying. I check my mailbox every day. What? Yeah, because I'm hoping Publisher Clearinghouse is finally yeah, right. going to come through. No, they me. come I'm, with balloons. I'm due. They knock on the door, Justin. Now, do you have a community mailbox or like? Yeah, with the key. You okay, know. so at least it's locked. Yeah, I mean, if it if it was a thing right in my thing, but I got to walk down the block and you got you a know. mailman that hates your guts. Did, did you just say I got to walk? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the way down the block, and and you know, Don't all my all my bills are on are, are digital these days. What do you what are you doing that you? And oh, and and when I moved, I got the mail. Uh, email thing now that shows me every day so i know what's there i know if something's important important is there you guys have that i learned a lesson by not checking my mail because one day i went to use my debit card and it was like it's declined i go that's that's not right and they said oh no it's it's declined so i had to call the company and they said well we sent you a new card there was a, a data breach and that card was a part of it so it's it's no longer active we sent it to you about you know three weeks ago i said <laughs> oh well i guess i'll check my mail <laughs> and from then on, I checked my mail. And Peter was out there going, look at this. Look yeah. what I got in my mail. Yeah. Daniel's debit card. Where bike. did good come from? It's <laughs> <laughs> like I rode my bicycle down here. I'd have been slick-winded if I'd have walked. Yeah. The, only, the only time I check my mail daily is, is around my birthday. Oh. When is your birthday? And while you're saying it, yeah. can you tell us your social and your mom's maiden name? I was, I was totally Where'd you go to high school? Tell you. 
I, God, I'm so dumb. <laughs> but all as a matter of fact. Did you know if you type in your social security number in a LinkedIn, it will like hide it automatically? Really? Yeah, go ahead and try it. Yeah, give that a go. Yeah. Did you Wait, know if you send an email to me? No, I feel like we should put we should put out a quick technado disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, we'll not do, do not do this. Do not do that. Did you know if you tweet your social security number? <laughs> Did you they know if you email the, it to me? DLP, right? Yeah, data yeah. loss prevention. <laughs> All right, uh, our last article is over at ZDNet.com. Print daemon vulnerability impacts all Windows versions. Print daemon. Well, it repeats the same thing. Uh, released back as far as 1996. Patches <laughs> available. There's an old dot matrix printer. <laughs> it's like the gateway <laughs> of the mother load of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of money. Back up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's man. Uh, Here's a computer with Clippy on it. And look at this. A large closet full of Scrooge McDuck coins. Yeah. <laughs> so are they using these dot matrix printers to mine Bitcoin? No. So it's actually not the printer that's the problem here. It's the print spooler, so the software service that runs uh -huh. in Windows, which has been largely unchanged since all the way back in Windows NT4. That's what brings all the way back to 1996. And, uh, and it's an interesting one because this one is taking advantage of the way that any user is allowed to add a printer to the system. Uh, you know, because like you don't have to be an admin to add a printer to the system, and there's a neat way they found where they could trick that to allow them to overwrite executables and DLLs that are on the system to perform an exploit. And, and Daniel, you could probably explain it better than me. You did a pretty good job, actually. <laughs> I mean, that's it. They basically said that uh, they figured out that if they were to crash the spooler service and then restart it, it would start up with system privileges, and from there it would do things like write DLLs. You could write into DLLs, you could create DLLs, you could write to protected space because you're running as anti authority, right? So you have system privileges. So they said, well, that's that's interesting. So this is not like a remote code execution kind of thing. This is more like a privesque uh, thing. So you're not gonna be able to use this to gain access into the system. You need to have already have some form of access into the system to exploit this. But once you're there, you, the it sky's the limit. Now, good news is when, when I saw this article, there was no patch, there was no nothing. They were talking about how even EDR systems couldn't really do anything about this. Uh, but since then, uh, as of today, I believe, right? Uh, patch Tuesdays today? Yes. They had a... Um, they have a, um, a patch for that. The patch is out. Yep. Although the patch, it is important to note that the patch will stop the problem from happening in the future. But if you've already been hit by it, the patch doesn't remove the rogue printer. So if you support a large network and you are concerned about this, you probably need to do a, uh, a scan. And what you're looking for is any printer port that instead of pointing to a network address or an LPT, uh, look for printer ports that are pointed to files. And most people don't use those. So if you find a printer port that's pointed to a file, that usually is an indicator here of this attack. And you know, Daniel hit it on the head that you, you can't really exploit this remotely. You do need to have access to the machine, but you don't need administrative access. You can just be a regular old user to pull this one off and, uh, and get in there and, and tap into it. And the proof of concept they did, they were uh, overwriting the UALAPI.DLL, which is user access logging. And that means they could change the way the system was doing logging to cover their tracks automatically. And imagine the other DLLs they could hit to, uh, you know, modify how admin jobs are being created or even create their own accounts and stuff. It really would give them complete access to the system. For some, all I can, this is a weird metaphor, but this is like having a doorbell that was put in in the 70s 
and then it no longer rings, but when you touch it, your front door swings open. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you get shocked. Yeah, and sometimes you get shocked. Because, I don't know, whenever I saw the print demon, I was like, oh, they'll never be able to do this because the print demon never works. You, you never print anything. <laughs> you know, that used to be on the test. Back, I got my MCSE 4 NT4. And uh, and back then there was there would always be a question of hey if your printer ha- is not printing what's the first step you should take and it was restart the print spooler so like Microsoft used to just teach you that hey yeah this is gonna crash here's how you restart it we should ask Jeffrey Snover because it says uh, that you can exploit this with a single single PowerShell command so this is <laughs> so this is Jeffrey's fault he facilitated <laughs> this. Fault. <laughs> it's it's a PowerShell commandlet that's wider than the screen that I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> but but it'll it'll restart that spooler service and it'll overwrite those DLLs. If that guy hadn't gotten shot at the Elvis Presley Hospital, <laughs> then we would have never had this uh, this exploit. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's actually a really short uh, PowerShell command because you're just creating a printer port and yeah. pointing it to a file. Uh, but then they didn't show how to crash the print spooler, and I thought that was almost funnier because you don't actually need a way. You can just wait, and they'll do it on its own. Yeah. <laughs> you say zip print, right? That's, that's, you just hit the print button. Yeah, right? yeah you're like, i got to print my resume while I'm, oh, there it goes. <laughs> Man, i got root. <laughs> no, look at I this. Got root. <laughs> I don't even know how that's possible. Oh, it must be that Windows sub show. Sorry. <laughs> what is this sub... Windows subsystem for Linux. Subsystem for Linux. There you go. It always confuses me because it seems like Linux should be first. It's a Linux subsystem for Windows, but... Didn't we talk about why? We did, and it's stupid. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Uh, Linux is trademarked. Yeah. And they wanted to avoid any potential claims, lawsuit, whatever. So if they put Linux first... Then it might look like it was a official Linux product mm-hmm. versus just give Linux. Linus Torvalds like ten million dollars and give him a couple bucks. Yeah, I mean, somebody like B, BG's got that on him. I'm sure he's just like, let me dig in my wallet real quick. What's it gonna take, Linus? Come on, ten, ten, yeah. right. ten, good. So, Come on. He's for like, some I've got reason, this in a jar full of water that was uh, filtered from my urine. Did, yeah. <laughs> Y'all remember Tasty. Celebrity Deathmatch, right? Oh yeah, that was great. So. Uh, Bill Gates, Linus Torvalds, Celebrities Deathmatch on who Winner which gets one Linux. Comes first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah, take, me too. I see Bill pulling out like sharpened CDs yeah. of IE four <laughs> in Carta. Yeah, in oh, sacks of gold. Bro, I had in Carta. <laughs> yeah, and it came in a lot of CDs, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. Oh man, good old days. It's a simpler time. It was. Hey, uh, I've got a webinar coming up that's pretty exciting. Uh, It is succeeding with the new Cisco certifications, tips from the pros at IT Pro TV. Uh, It's Anthony Sequeira and Ronnie Wong. Uh, This Thursday, the same day this comes out, May 21st, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, if you're just listening to this and it's like 1.30, you know, hit pause, come back to it later, go watch that. uh, Because there's a lot of those new certs out right now, um, NSLED and... uh, the other one and, and RC whistle and encore encore <laughs> uncle there's something about whistle right? whistle and yeah, RC uh, we had the and driver and RC too but there's something with like WSL or something that that Anthony called whistle today you are you were thinking about the Windows subsystem for nope. Linux yeah I'm ahead of you yes you'll see. <laughs> A Linux subsystem for Windows, you mean? <laughs> I, you know, Cisco, their acronyms, they, they are all over the place right now, and so I, I can believe it. Like, yeah. Well, I'm going to go ask Anthony right after this, and I'm, I look forward to your apology on next week's episode. Uh, not that. With Don oh, uh, he's talking about implementing Cisco Enterprise Wireless Networks 
E N W L S I. I could see that being N So it's it's it sounds Arabic like a lot of the stuff that they do because I know one Arabic thing which is I speak Arabic, which is N T I P T A R F I A R B I. Yeah, I have that certain. It's like so. That's like a useless phrase for you to know. I know. Totally unrelated to everything. I'm doing Duolingo right now um, to learn Dutch because my dad speaks it. I oh, thought it'd be fun. That's cool. And uh, the phrase I got the other day from Duolingo was, uh, pardon me, I am an apple. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to come this up. This is helpful. They said a lot over there. Yeah. And then my daughter the next day got, I am not an apple. So I, I need to like so, to correct myself. Well, I'm glad you cleared that up because I was confused. Maybe so. that's the divide. There's civil war. Like their racism yeah, yeah. is. Are you an apple? Yeah. <laughs> You're not one of them apples. Pardon. Right? It, it been an apple. What, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the drug usage policy? Right <laughs> yeah, that could be. Yeah. I think that's what John F. Kennedy said too. Uh, uh, it been. An apple. An apple. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was supposed to be like an apple user. Maybe it was the trademark. I'm not sure. I'll have to look back. But anyway, yeah, check out that webinar. That's over at itpro.tv slash webinars. You can also see all of the past webinars. Uh, the one we just did on Help Desk Health Check is on there, archived, Evolve Server Management with Windows Admin Center. Those are all there, um, itpro.tv slash webinars. And while you're on that internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, you can get a coupon code for 30% off your personal membership. Uh, you can also uh, request a demo for your team uh, and learn all about the business plans and the pro portal and all the great stuff there at go.itpro.tv slash technado. All right, uh, good episode today, guys, and it was great talking with uh, with Dennis Hunter. Uh, what did we say we searched? Dennis Hunter Rucker? No, Unlink? Rucker. Dennis Rucker Hunter. Hunter. Rucker Hunter? Rucker's Hunter? Rucker. Rucker. R-U-C-K-E-R. Yep. Darius. Darius Rucker. I knew someone was going there. It's Hootie. No relation to Hootie. I'm not Hootie. I know. Have you ever seen the Key and Peel? I have, yeah. No, that's great. That's funny. Yeah. Pork, pork. I, I miss Hootie and the Blowfish because have you heard Darius Rucker's new music? Dude, Hootie and the Blowfish He's, used to crank out the tune. I miss Key and Peele. Yeah. Isn't he a country singer now? Yeah. He is. Okay. Which honestly, Hootie and the Blowfish was kind of, you know, when you think when you listen back to it, it's kind of got a little I can hear it, country yeah. twang to it, but uh, yeah, it's great. The, the steel guitar through it, <laughs> give it mm. away. I just remember when I heard Round Here the first time. And it made me realize that's that not counting, counting crows. Oh, is it not the same? Yeah. Oh, it's not wow. the same. No, different band. Never mind. Wow. Well, finish your thought. I'm interested. <laughs> 90s alt rock trivia. If here. you're ever bored, listen to the song around here, and it will help you realize that literally anyone on this planet can be a musician because that song is devoid of any talent. <laughs> like, <laughs> have he, you heard Rihanna's Umbrella? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, does it what? top it? Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yes. So here, here's how you write a pop song. Pick a noun, and you're done. <laughs> and you're done. No, I remember Rob it. Zombie saying that about uh, more human than human. He's like, he's like, I hate these songs, but you got to do these radio ones where you just say the same thing over and over to get stuck in people's heads, and that's how you make a hit. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah that's exactly what more human than human is. All right, I'm gonna go write a song. Make yeah, that money. get on that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna hijack a supercomputer and have it write one for me. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you all of you out there watching. We'll see you next week right here on Technado with Dom Pizzetti. <laughs>